Hey there. Thanks for joining us at Risen King Church for our weekly podcast. We pray you meet God and know that you are loved today. Be sure to visit us at risenking.life to take all of your next steps and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Enjoy the message. Merry Christmas, everyone. I'm so thankful for Pastor Ashley and the message that she brought to us last week. I realized that having, yeah, amen, having that perspective of uh, a mother who has gone through birth, childbirth, and sharing so deeply Mary's experience, and and just that that whole uh, perspective of seeing the wonder of Christmas through her eyes was a special time for each of us. Now, she did mention to you all that it was my birthday last week. And uh, (laughs) yes, I do love the attention. So um, thank you for all the messages, all the emails. Some of you I wish didn't have my email, but uh, (laughs) I'm kidding. I'm well, somewhat. Uh, But uh, it is. It is awesome to be together. It's, it's hard to believe it's Christmas, isn't it? Hard to believe it. I just realized this week it's the end of a decade. That's uh, surprising. That's why my birthday was bittersweet. But uh, <laughs> time seems to pass quickly, you know. It's really fast. So at, as we conclude this, this year, I really wanted to share with you about the names of Jesus, about the character of Jesus. You see, when you come into a faith relationship with God through Jesus Christ, you come under the power of his name. His name now is a spiritual covering over you. It's a spiritual authority over your life. And his character and the character of that covering is revealed in the names. And so... In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, we have the prophetic uh, giving and revelation of the names of Jesus. And it says, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So I'd like to focus on those last two of the fourfold name of Jesus everlasting father and prince of peace so when you start thinking about these things these are prophetic titles that spoke into what is now true of the covering over your life an everlasting father a prince of peace when you've come to jesus and you come to live and and obey Jesus and follow Jesus, it's, it's not a bad thing to say, what can I expect? What can I expect will happen? And, and sometimes we get a little confused and we think because we hear this title of Prince of Peace that somehow the world's going to experience peace. But the truth is, this Prince of Peace doesn't necessarily mean international peace. As a matter of fact, I've been all over the world, and it looks like the world is more divided and in many ways more dangerous than I've ever seen in my life. And even where there aren't wars, it looks like wars are about to start sometimes. And so it isn't about international peace. It's about a personal peace, and it's about a person whose presence is peace in your life. And it begins with this kind of a 
a foundation of understanding what it means that he is the everlasting father. That's a very personal designation. And one of the things that, that I want you to understand is just because you are a human being doesn't give you a right to call God father. As a matter of fact, you have a right to call him your creator and you are his creation but the status of child of God is given, not taken. It's not innate. It's not natural. It is something that has to take place in a way that changes your status. Listen to what John says in chapter 1. He says, as many as received Jesus, he gave them the right to be called children of God. Only as you receive Jesus does the Father then see you as a daughter or as a son. As a matter of fact, the Bible is even more clear. It says that when you come into the status where you get to access the Father, you come into it by adoption, which means before your adoption, you're a spiritual orphan. So you can't call God your Father. You're actually fatherless. And so by adoption, the Holy Spirit prophetically speaks into your heart, elevates your status, gives you an identity that is supernatural, and then He cries in your heart, Abba, Father. But your first cry is also like a baby's first cry. Your first cry, being born of the Spirit, is Daddy, Father. You see, this was Jesus' mission. He wanted you to have his father as, his, as your father. He wanted your father to be his father. Listen how he teaches us to pray. He doesn't say, oh God. He doesn't say sovereign king. He doesn't say Lord, even though God is all those things. But when Jesus teaches you to pray, he says you have access to come and say, Abba, my Abba, my daddy, my father. That is a... That is not something that you should just say, yeah, I know that. No, that's something that should be foundational to the very depths of your soul because everything else of peace will flow out of your identity and your relationship with the Father. Amen. Let me tell you how important this is. The law of God basically is boiled down into two commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. Now, there may be ones of you in here that are less violators of the Ten Commandments. Some of you are less murderers than the rest of us. <laughs> Some of you are less adulterers. Some of you don't lie as much as the rest of us do. But none of us in this room can, with a straight face, say, I have loved the Lord my God with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. The Lord Jesus loved you so much that in his spirit-filled humanity, he loved the Lord as God with all his heart, with all his, his mind, with all his soul, with all his strength. And then he took that love and he put it to your account. And none of us in here can say we've loved our neighbors as ourselves. We haven't even loved ourselves well, so I don't see how we could love our neighbors that well. But Jesus said, greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. So not only did he love our neighbors well, but he attributed his love to the account so that when the Father sees your love account, he sees 
the love of the Father with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He sees the love of the neighbors as love equal to the love you have of the Father, heart, mind, soul, and strength. Jesus did that for you. He came so that his Father would become your Father. So that you would have the exact same access to his Father that he has. And though you could never love him with all your heart, mind, and soul, Jesus loved him for you. And though you couldn't love others as he loves others, he put his love to your account. So now you are considered as if you love people as much as Jesus loves people. Now, is only Alan getting this? (laughs) But what's the quality of this relationship? I mean... This is so amazing. It's not just that when I say it to you, it's true. It's true forever. It is an everlasting truth. It is an everlasting connection. It is an everlasting bond. You see, because it doesn't really matter how much you screw up, he's already done it for you. So when you are messing up, the Father is still treating you as if you were Jesus. Jesus was treated the way you deserve. Now you're being treated the way Jesus deserves. And it's so forever. And I'd like you to get this idea of everlasting and unchangeable into your mind. Because this is is the foundation of true peace. Is when you begin to realize there are things that do not change. And when you begin to invest yourself and you begin to anchor yourself in the things that do not change, then it doesn't matter the circumstances, you will have perfect peace. So the prince of peace is something you and I have to begin to think of. The problem with many of us is Disney defines prince for us. Prince charming, prince idiot, prince uh, whatever it might be, you know. And so we think of this kind of romantic character. Biblical prince is not a romantic character. A prince in the Bible is a principality. It is a person who has an undisputed reign over a realm. Okay, a realm. And what's the character of the realm of the principality of peace? But it's a realm of peace. See, what you and I have to understand is there is no solution for the darkness in this world. There are no techniques that will do anything more than help you cope with the darkness. And even the techniques are darkness coping with darkness. And coping, in essence, is lying and denying. There has to be, the scripture says, Isaiah says, in this utter darkness, there has to be a light that dawns, not a light that develops. And so what's happened is, it hasn't come from this earth. It has come from a realm of peace. And our prince has come. And peace is not a principle or a technique. It's a person. And when you relate yourself as he being your leader... He being your principality, He being the voice you follow, then you are experiencing the realm of peace even while you have to continue to live in the realm of darkness. Some people will say to me, well, I'll believe it when I see it. Let me tell you, this realm is a realm 
you see when you believe it. And when you start saying, well, if you can prove it to me, you'll never see it. You have to begin to say, if this is who Jesus is, and I believe and trust Jesus, then this is the realm that has invaded my life because I follow Christ. See, a lot of us, even Christians, would like there to be three realms instead of two realms. You see, there are, there are two realms and there are two principalities, in a sense. This realm of peace is the kingdom of God. It's the kingdom of Christ. It's the kingdom of heaven. It, it sources heaven. It sources the Trinity. But there is another realm, and, and there is one over it who's called a prince as well. The Bible calls the devil the prince of the power of the air. Everything that has to do with darkness in this world, everything that has to do with the curse, everything that has to do with fallenness, deception, temptation, accusation, that's the realm of the devil. And it's even, he's even called the prince of darkness. That's his realm. It's characterized by his character. So there are a lot of us who are Christians with, who, who don't really want to think too much about the devil. And we don't really want to be too extreme in Christ either. So we want a kind of Switzerland spirituality. <laughs> you know, we want to say, okay, I, you know, I'm not so bad. I'm not part of the devil. I'm not going to be so fanatic and be a part of that kingdom people. So I'm just going to be Switzerland. You understand, Switzerland is also the kingdom of darkness. Because he's deceived people into thinking passivity and neutrality cannot be unrighteousness. The reality is the greatest tool of that Satan has is deception. It's because when you're deceived, you don't know you're deceived. Friends, there's only two princes. And there's only two voices. It's either the voice of the liar or the voice of truth. It's either the voice of your savior or the voice of your accuser. And you get to decide which one you follow, which one you're going to go after. You see, there is a realm. And, and, and this is such an interesting thing. You only live in the realm of peace by faith. It can't be seen. It's not from here. Sometimes you're going to be living and life is going to be very disappointing. Things aren't going to go the way you want to go. People will disappoint you, betray you, all those kind of things. Those are the realm of the world in which we have been called to live. But we are also being called to, in that realm, realize that we have another realm, a realm of peace, and the voice of the prince. You can either listen to the prince of peace or you can listen to the prince of darkness. But either way, you're hearing a voice and you're following a leader. Look. A lot of us would like peace to mean that there's kind of a cessation of conflict. We'd like there to be the absence of challenges. But you have to understand that there's a whole aspect of the work of God that is the curriculum of the Holy Spirit to build spiritual muscles in you. He even uses annoying people as part of that curriculum. But part of it is that I think you have to understand the bigger picture of the work of the Holy Spirit, of the work of God in regards to this world. So I want to read something to you. It's kind of complex, but I want you to understand how God is working in your life. So the Bible describes the making of the world not only as the building of a house, but also as the weaving of a garment. God turned a chaos into a cosmos, and he also turned a tangle into a tapestry. 
Woven garments were long in the making and valuable in ancient times, and therefore they were an apt metaphor for the wonder and character of the material world. The sea, the clouds, the lights of the sky, and all the forces of nature are called garments that God has woven and now wears. As a result, the world is not like a lava cone, the product of powerful random eruptions, but rather like a fabric. Woven cloth consists of innumerable threads interlaced with one another. Even more than the architectural image, the fabric metaphor conveys the importance of relationship. If you just throw thousands of pieces of thread onto a table, no fabric results. The threads must be rightly and intimately related to one another in literally a million ways. Each thread must go over, under, around, and through the others at thousands of points. Only then do you get a fabric that is beautiful and strong, that covers, fits, holds, shelters, and delights. God created all things to be in a beautiful, harmonious, interdependent, knitted, webbed relationship to one another. Just as rightly related physical elements form a cosmos or a tapestry, so rightly related human beings form a community. This interwovenness is what the Bible calls shalom or harmonious peace. See, there is a bigger picture than this momentary circumstance that you're going through. Every single painful interaction, every connection, every time where you cease being independent and you become interdependent, you are being weaved into a beautiful, strong, powerful, valuable tapestry. God will not waste a single thread of your life. And when you see what He has created from even your scars, you will see how beautiful it is. But you have to trust him. And you have to trust in a way that what is unseen is more real than what is seen. So the opposite of peace, then, is anxiety. So the biblical word anxiety means to tear into pieces. So think about this. If peace, the shalom of God, is taking all the circumstances of your life all the wiring of your life, all of the people in your life, and he's weaving a beautiful tapestry with all of those threads together, then anxiety is ripping apart the tapestry. It's tearing the threads in two. It's making what should be connected disconnected. So that's why the Scripture says, be anxious for nothing. Because it's never for your good to tear yourself apart. And so the anxiety is countered by peace. But peace in the Scripture can be defined in a way as inner calm and equilibrium. So here, I want you to turn to your neighbor and say to them, and I'd like you to point at them, okay? I'd like you to point at them and say, inner calm, inner calm. And, equilibrium. and equilibrium. Now I want you to get your stern look. Okay, ready? You need inner calm and equilibrium. All right. That's enough of that. Right now, you need inner calm and equilibrium. So, listen to me on this. In Philippians 4, where it's really unpacking peace versus anxiety. Notice what it says in verse 11. 
Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. So what is contentment but inner calm and equilibrium? It's a poise so that you face whatever trial that is coming. But he, what does the Apostle Paul say? It's not innate. It's not natural. The Apostle says he's had to learn it. In other words, muscles have to develop. Spiritual muscles. And so he's saying you've got to learn to appropriate peace. You've got to learn to have inner calm. And so he goes on, he says, I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound in every, any and every circumstance. I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And then he says this powerful verse, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Here's the problem with many of us. We, we will say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, but we've not learned We've not learned contentment. We've not learned inner poise or inner calm. We've not learned to have that equilibrium. One of the issues is, you notice what he says, in every circumstance. Now, you and I, maybe if we're honest, we say, Lord, I could be pretty calm if I was in abundance. You know, bless me with plenty and let's build those muscles for a while. But many of us, when life doesn't go the way we expect it to go, we lose our contentment. We lose our poise. Do you understand that a lot of times the circumstance itself you can handle, but your surprise or shock at the circumstances makes you weak? Because you say, how can this happen to me? I thought this was going to happen. This is unexpected. This person should have done this or should have done that. You see, as soon as you say, this can happen to me, but this can't happen to me. Or if you say, God, if you love me, this would never happen to me. Or God, if you're good, how could this ever happen to me? You see, if the foundation of your beliefs about God are not based on truth, then what you feel will not be real. And you'll begin to believe what's not real is true. And it will take you down a pathway of anxiety. Anxiety is, is, is really a, a negative prophetic. Anyone who is anxious is projecting into the future. And they are feeling the pain of a future that won't even happen. And because they feel the pain of that future, they are not strengthened for their future they are actually weakened. They are torn in pieces so that instead of having strength to face the future, now they are destroyed before the future even happens. Come on, track with me on that. I can save you some counseling time. You understand, most of us, whether we like it or not, we have tied ourselves to outcomes that we neither have the right to control or the ability to control. And then when it doesn't happen the way we want or think we need it to happen, instead of experiencing poise or inner calm or equilibrium, we experience anxiety. So instead of being fully prepared and able to face any circumstance, we are torn into pieces before we even face it. And what happens in that is we've actually excluded Christ 
through whom we can do all things, and we've tried to do it in our own strength. Now, can I tell you, will you hear me on this? The shalom or the peace of God is really, it's more than the absence of fearful things. The shalom of God is actually all the resources you need to flourish. There's a destiny, that, an extraordinary destiny that God has planned for. You're part of the tapestry. You're part of the important threads that will make this worthy garment that he calls community, that he calls the pride of Christ. But when you and I decide in some way that we're going to make our own way, we're going to do it our own way, and we step outside the realm of peace, and we're trying to cope with the darkness with darkness. And all, all that'll do is make you a worse version of yourself. Fear is not a friend, it's a limiter. It's an inhibitor. So here's what Paul says. It's not the absence of fearful things, but it's the presence of something that guards you and protects you. He says, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. Again, understand something. The peace of God is a realm. It's the realm of the Lord Jesus. It's the leadership of the Lord Jesus. It's you listening to his voice. That's why it's not something you just see. It's something you begin to say, I believe, I trust, and you begin to follow. And he says, if that's true, then a military term comes up. It says, we'll guard, but it's actually, we'll establish a garrison of protection and defense around your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. This is, a, this is beginning to believe and trust in the truth of Scripture, even when you're facing unexpected circumstances. For example, when you face something that, you didn't, you didn't bargain for, you didn't plan for, instead of saying, I'm going to go into anxiety, I'm going to be torn apart, you begin to say, I love you, God. And when you say, I love you, God, then Romans 8.28 clicks in and, and, and begins to you know, rumble around in your spiritual mind, the spiritual heart, and you realize He works together all things for good for those who love Him, and are called according to his purpose. So now you look at this circumstance and you say, I may not understand this circumstance, but I believe the God who said he will work even this circumstance or this relationship or this health issue or whatever it is, because I love him, he's working it for my good. Amen. You see, what you're doing is you're not denying the presence of the conflict. You're not denying the presence even of your fear. But you're saying, I have something else present that I believe in more. The presence of the prince. The very presence. Did you not notice? Did you not notice today when we sang, O Holy Night, that the presence of the Lord escalated? It was accelerated. That's because he inhabits the praises of his people. He's enthroned in the praises. When you, when you are only listening to the voice of your pain, all you get is more pain. Truthfully, whatever you're beholding is what you're becoming. So if you're listening to the voice of the prince, you're becoming a person of, of inner calm. You're becoming a person of equilibrium. Think about the, the fact that many of us, 
you know, have felt in life. We felt vulnerable. We felt unprotected. We've even at times felt defeated. And when you feel that way, let me just tell you, there's no, there's no technique that's going to get you out of that. You can deny reality, but reality just follows you for the rest of your life. But when you begin to say, wait a minute, I love God. I have this prince in my life. And his realm is peace. It's everything I need to flourish. It's everything I need to become uh, the person and the destiny that he has for me. Well, here's the, the character of that piece is inner calm and equilibrium poise. But there's a, there's a way to maintain the peace, begin to live in that peace. And Paul unpacks this in, in this passage in Philippians 4. And I'm going to call it peace thinking first. So there's a way to think that maintains the peace. And so he says, he's basically explaining to us that how you think or what you believe is always going to manifest in feelings. Now there are people, particularly in evangelical circles, that will say you can never trust your feelings. I think that's an inaccurate statement. I think your feelings always diagnose what you're believing. So when you are saying, let's say you're anxious or you're depressed or you're, you know, you're angry, what you're saying is, I can't trust that God is working in a way that is for my good, so I have to have these negative emotions to get control over the world. So anxiety is me trying to control what I have no right to control. Anger is me realizing people are stopping me or blocking me for what I think I need. And then depression is just me giving up and saying it's never going to work. And all of these emotions, friends, are self-protective. So anxiety lets you think about yourself, makes you into kind of a tornado. Anger can make it to where it's all about you as well. It's a very self-centered, I have a right to, I can demand to. And the depression is, there's a, there's a self-protection kind of technique in depression where, okay, I'm so depressed, nobody can expect anything from me. And nobody can demand anything from me. Because, you know, I'm just depressed. I'm going to go, I'm just going to withdraw. And so all of these negative emotions are manifesting that instead of being in the realm of the prince of peace, you've been seduced into the realm of the prince of anxiety, anger, and also of depression or despair or hopelessness. So one is the voice of darkness and the one is the voice of light. So even when you are experiencing in your life these kinds of emotions, you can look at them and say, why have I believed a lie when I can believe the truth? You don't change your feelings by changing your feelings. You change your feelings by discovering the lie that is behind the feelings. See, one of the issues that, that many of us don't realize is if something I believe is not true then what I feel will not be real. And if what I feel is not real, I will still operate as if it is real, but I won't have the truth to set me free. So peace is not accidental, friends. It is intentional. And it is you beginning to say, I have a choice over what I think, over what I believe, over what I trust, and over what I commit myself to. All right, now that 
That was really good, okay? Come on. Do I have to explain that to you again? So look at how Paul puts it. He says, he says it this way. You want peace thinking. You want to live in peace. You have to live with peace thinking. He says, whatever is true. So if you're believing something's a lie, you're not believing what's true. Whatever is honorable. If you're giving yourself to that which is dishonorable, it's going to have an effect on you. Whatever is just. So if there's some injustice in your life or uh, you're being unmerciful or whatever it is. Whatever is pure. Whatever is lovely. Whatever is commendable. If there is any excellence. If there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. See, Christian peace, Paul says, come from, comes from thinking about what's true, what's honorable, what's just, what's pure, what's lovely, what's commendable. See, many of us don't realize that we are seeing the darkness, and the darkness is real, but we have a deeper truth. He has overcome the darkness. Even when I'm facing what seems like circumstances I'm not going to be able to overcome, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Let me make this personal. I, a few years ago, I, I just felt very strongly the Lord was calling me to finish my doctorate. So a number of years I had started, and I left it alone for about 20 years. And so I, I, I picked up being a student again. And I haven't been a student, hadn't been a student since 19... You know, and so I... Every, I had to do six modules and a dissertation. So every module, I quit. Because as soon as I got the requirements, the reading, the papers, all of that kind of stuff, I just said, how am I going to do this? Because I was pastoring the church. I was teaching at NIAC. I was uh, doing conferences internationally and here in the States. And I'm like, I just don't have time for this. And this is too hard. And I started to realize that in all of my educational career, I had never studied in the power of the Holy Spirit. I'd always studied in my own strength. I'd always studied in my own techniques. And I, I had not learned how to walk in the Spirit as a student. And so when I would see the challenges, I would get overwhelmed by it. And so it was really fascinating to me as I, as I faced each module and I said, Lord, I yield to your realm of peace. Lord, I yield to this reality that within me is inner confidence. Within me is this inner calm, this poise. I said, this is hard. It's challenging. But I can do all things through Christ who strengthened me. And so every single time, I did not quit. I went through it. And it was amazing to do studies in the Spirit. Fear limits even your studying even what you remember how you think is limited by fear you run away when you're fearful but when you're empowered by the spirit you go deeper things get clearer to you your own your own knowledge becomes more powerful more real more rememberable than ever before and I, 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 I'm telling you, this is very, very practical. It's not just the theoretical prince of peace. It's the realm of peace intersecting and invading whatever challenge you're facing. It makes the reality of this statement more real than ever. If God is for us, who can be against us? Are you tracking with me in this? So peace thinking, 
leads to what I would call peace thinking. So when you think and believe rightly, it produces a thanksgiving in your heart. So thanking is, according to Paul, an essential element of both requesting peace and living in peace. Listen what he says. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. Now, if I had written that, apart from the Spirit, I would say, I'll thank you, God, when you answer me. But he doesn't say that. He says, as you're praying, be thanking. And what does that mean? It means that you are already trusting that he knows what you need, even if you ask for the wrong thing. And what all of us begin to, to realize is, is he's working in your life in such a way that he takes even your misprayed request and does what you need and what even you want at a deeper level. There's a great example of this. Can you imagine being one of the disciples at the crucifixion of Jesus? Do you think they were at the crucifixion saying, oh, I think God's going to work good out of this? No, they thought it was over. They thought it was the end. They, how can anything good come out of this? And yet the cross of Jesus Christ is the prototype and the template of how God turns everything for good. You see, there can't be resurrection if there is no death. Are you hearing me in this? What I've learned over my 60 wonderful years... Uh, of life is that I don't know how to even ask for what I really need. But what he does is by opening up my prayers and my requests, he actually gives me what I should have asked for. He gives me what I would have asked for if I knew what he knows. You see, he knows the end of your life from the beginning. He knows the destiny and he knows the resources that you need. Do you understand? Your father in heaven has a future relationship with you right now. He already sees you as who you will be, and he already has the resources to get you there. When you open up your heart and start to pray and then say, Father, I thank you that you know what I do not know. I remember as an 18-year-old wanting to be a pastor and studying with other guys who wanted to be pastors. And we, we were in a circle on a Friday night praying with all our hearts, very intense prayers, and I prayed something like this. Lord, whatever it costs, I want to be the man you want me to be. I had no idea what I was praying at that moment. <laughs> and I know that my whole life has been characterized by him answering that prayer. He had to take me apart to remake me. I thought I was just going, oh, I'm such a gift to you, God. And, and uh, you know, you're just going to use me. I'm so pure and holy and good. And, and he's like, no, you're not. And I'm going to have to break you. And I'm going to have to show you how broken you are. And then I'm going to heal you. And I, I realize so often that, that the prayer that I prayed that day has been the prayer that he's been answering for 43 years. Are you with me? So there's an anti-peace thing. And, and, you know, peace thinking, peace thinking. But there's this anti-peace thing. And it... And it's really when you or I love the wrong things 
or we love things wrongly. I want you to, I, I would like you to get into your soul a word that I think can help you. It's the word immutable. Would you say it with me? Immutable. Now, it's a fancy word, and I did go to seminary and pay a lot of money, so that's where I got the word. Okay, so it's a fancy word, but it's a helpful word. Okay, so it is an, something that does not change. It's called immutable. And so the issue with many of us is that we have invested the majority of our love in things that change. So as they change, we lose our peace. So if you, you, know, you love your health, it could change. If you love your job, it could change. If you love your family, families change. Circumstances change. If anything, this whole world is consistently changing. And so, peace is not found in change. Peace is only found when the foundation of your peace is in the immutable love of God. See, the problem with many of us is we use God as our assistant to try to keep things from changing. I've always loved helping people in their romantic life. I, I would love to be a love guru. I mean, I would just be awesome. <laughs> but a lot of people that I've tried to help over the years, they break up. Sometimes I tried to do it for them. But, uh, um, you know, so that I remember, you know, a girlfriend would come, a boyfriend would come. Oh, Pastor, will you pray? My girlfriend left me and my boyfriend left me. And, and then they would say something like this, I can't live without them. And I would say, would you give me their phone number? And they said, why? I was, I'm going to call and tell them to run as far from you as possible. Because what they're, what they're saying is that they're basing their peace, their life, their satisfaction, their sense of worth on this person who is changeable and has already proved that they're changeable because they broke up with you. Now, here's the thing. If your love is based in the immutable love of God, he will give you all kinds of things that you care about. But they are not the things that you base your life on. I love my marriage, but it's not the source of my peace. I love my marriage, but it's not the source of my joy or the source of my love. It points to the source. The ultimate immutable love of God is the source. This is why it's so essential that you get how important it is that he's your everlasting father. That changes not. But then you see, once you get him in the right place, then he can bless you with all kinds of blessings. Because when he's ultimate, you won't make the blessings ultimate. But if the blessings are ultimate, he has to oppose the blessings. Listen, if you love God supremely, you do not lose all the things you care about. You will realize that the immutable God is the source of every lovely, excellent, praiseworthy thing that you care about. And you can trust the immutable God, love of God. Christmas is a demonstration of that. I, I want to close with these two quotes. This is Tim Keller's words. He says, A God who was only holy would not have come down to us in Jesus Christ. 
He would have simply demanded that we pull ourselves together, that we be moral and holy enough to merit a relationship with Him. A deity that was an all-accepting God of love would not have needed to come to earth either. The God of the modern imagination would have just overlooked sin and evil and embraced us. Neither the God of moralism nor the God of relativism would have bothered with Christmas. Christmas means that through the grace of God and the incarnation, peace with God is available. And if you make peace with God, then you go out and make peace with everybody else. And the more people who embrace the gospel and do that, the better off the world is. Christmas, therefore, means the increase of peace, both with God and between people across the face of the world. Hallelujah, right? Will you stand with me? I don't want to leave today without giving you a chance to have peace with God. Listen, I, I know this is a little weird, but I have a vision. I have two visions. One is some of you coming to the Father's house and for the first time recognizing it's your house. That you have peace to enter into the Father's presence. That you're not coming as a beggar. You're not coming as a sinner. You're coming as a daughter. You're coming as a son. When you make peace with God, He doesn't just cease His hostility towards you. He declares you son. He declares you daughter. But the second image is powerful to me, and I, it, I keep seeing it. Every one of you is surrounded by a garrison of angels. Every one of you is surrounded by a garrison of the Spirit of God. You are protected you are guarded. <laughs> you are loved with immutable love. But I also see that some of you throw off the garrison and go try to protect yourselves. So I would just like to tell you how stupid that is. <laughs> you versus the angels, okay? You versus the Spirit of Christ. Doesn't make sense to me. But you got to stop listening to the voice of darkness and start listening to the voice of peace. Would you pray this with me? Just, just a short prayer. No matter where you are, would you pray this? Lord, today, I receive your invitation to make peace with you. By faith, I have peace with God. And I receive this garrison, this protection, not only peace with God, but the peace of God. Let that come in, okay? Peace with God and the peace of God. Because right now in your life, a realm of peace has invaded. Because if you have the prince, you have the peace. Lord, we seal what you're doing. We thank you for Christmas. That you wanted us to know your father and for him to be our father. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Merry Christmas, everyone. God bless you.